Good morning. So as we prepare our hearts for the sermon, here is Romans 5, 1 through 11. I'll read for you. If you'd like to turn to that, you may. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has, given a, whom has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For it... For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. O oh, Father, thank you for this reconciliation. This is the key, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus is that, is that means by which we are able to have relationship with you. And we thank you, Lord, by, by your Holy Spirit, you awaken us to believe, you illuminate us to believe your word. I pray that as Pastor Aaron uh, proclaims the truth, the promises, that we would hear, we would experience you, we would experience Jesus in our bones, and Lord, you would transform us even more like him. So may you get all the glory and all the honor, and may we experience joy and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Good morning. My name's Aaron. For those of you who have not met yet, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, a question as we get started. How, how many of you would like to know what the future holds? When will this COVID stuff be over? When will the leaves change? When will the first freeze happen? When will my kid get married? We're the type of people, we like to look ahead. We like to look forward to things. And some of it, I bet we would try and avoid if we knew what it entailed. While at the same time, I'm sure many of us would rather or would have liked to invest in some Bitcoin about 10 years ago. But church, this morning we will see that the gospel looks forward while it also looks backwards at God's promises for both. And so let's pray together as we have a lot of text this morning and we do need some help. We'll be in Genesis chapter 45 through 47. It's on page 46 in your pew Bible. So let's pray. 
Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us this morning in your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 45, looking at the first 15 verses, if you want to turn there and follow along in your Bibles. It says, And Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with them when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come to this... Oops, sorry. Wrong page. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, and so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes have seen, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You shall tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. So when, when you've made a big mistake, maybe at the office, maybe as a kid, maybe with your parents, how likely, how keen are you on fessing up to your big mistake? If you're anything like me, it does not come naturally. And imagine these sons of, Joko, of, of Jacob. They sold their brother. They lied to their father of what happened to him and his death. And if they knew that Joseph was in charge of all of Egypt, my guess is that Egypt would not be the first place that they would go to get help during the midst of a famine. But God has initiated these actions. God has initiated this reconciliation. God has initiated this forgiveness under his providential hand. As we've talked about this before in the book of Genesis, applying his wise sovereignty over all things. And we see Joseph, he is unable at this point to control his emotions. That Joseph is in the, power, the position of authority over his brothers. And he humbles himself 
to the point where his authority is in a position to preserve life. As Eric read for us this morning, so that the seed of Judah could be preserved for you and for me and the salvation of the world. Looking back, God has blinded these brothers to the things that have taken place while they've been in Egypt. But looking forward and where we're at in our text today, these brothers, they begin to see what is taking place. And they, they initially, they take a step back in fear. But what do we see Joseph do? Joseph moves forward to them. Where they are ashamed, he comes to them in reconciliation. When we are in shame, when we have sinned, when we have faltered, when we think that we've got to the point where we have done so much, where we think that God really could not love us, He comes to us. He sent His church, or His Son, to us. God has initiated reconciliation for us who believe. And God gives us sight to see. An ability to trust, courage to follow, and a humility to repent. And so seeing their shame, Joseph, he assures his brothers, he goes to them, that this is all under the providential hand of God. You might be familiar with Romans 8, 28. Um, it says, And that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. When we lose our jobs, when we're told to put a mask back on, when life is hard, when family moves away, when the boiler goes out like it did for our house on Thursday, whatever it is, they all work together for good, even if we don't see the good currently for us at the moment. We've seen in Genesis these last few weeks that God was with Joseph. And Joseph, he knew this. And Joseph assures his family that God has initiated all of the events that have led them to Egypt today. And as we read in our scripture reading this morning, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The text doesn't say that once we got our lives together, or we're perfect, or we memorized the Bible verse that our pastor suggested, or we participated in the Bible reading plan, or we had good attendance on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or we gave enough, or we shared the gospel with our neighbor. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we brought nothing to the table, church, Christ died for us. Christ came to us. Christ initiated with us. Christ set himself towards a reconciliation to God for us. All that other stuff that I mentioned is a response to the gifts that we've received from God. And so Joseph, he blessed his family. And as we'll see in the text that the nations, primarily here first and foremost with Egypt, will be blessed through this family. And church, we have the greatest gift in the world. It is the gospel. We have the good news. We have and we know what this story leads to. 
Joseph was blessed to be a blessing like God had promised to Abraham that the nations would be blessed, which is Joseph's great-grandfather. Jesus in John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you're looking back, this all started in Genesis chapter 3. And God's sovereign hand, His providence, has sent Joseph to Egypt to save and preserve life. And this church points us to Christ, where God's providential hand leads to Jesus, God's Son, coming into the world. And clearly we see that God does allow good or bad things to happen to good people. But God is not the author of sin. In Genesis, we've seen over and over, right, that sinners will sin. It's very difficult for us not to sin. Genesis has shown us over and over again, but God's providential hand, He uses all of these things to bring about good in the end, the preservation of this promised family. The best part of the, this is that God brings life to His people, even for us, through the murder of His own Son. As Pastor John Calvin, he remarked on this text, he says, When Joseph reflects that their wickedness had been overruled by the wonderful and unwanted goodness of God, forgetting the injury received, he kindly embraces the men whose dishonor God had covered with his grace. For Joseph, this reconciliation, it was unconditional. The brothers didn't come with gifts of repentance. The gospel, it looks back and it also looks forward where God's love for us is unconditional. For those who believe, He does not have any grudges. And these brothers, they get to go back and tell their family, primarily their fathers, the good news. They cannot not share. They get to bear witness to who God is and what He has done. And when you ladies are pregnant or have been pregnant, you get to that certain week, whatever your family has decided, and you cannot not share that news with those around you. We love to share good news. And church, we have the best news in Christ Jesus coming on our behalf, dying in our place, raising from the dead to give us abundant life. And what a privilege it is to share it with others. And so the gospel, it looks back. The gospel looks forward. And we'll see what happens as the rest of chapter 45 and the implications of this promised family coming to Egypt. We'll pick it back up in verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your household and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the sons of Israel did so, 
And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a, good, a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brother away, brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. He knew them. So they went up to, to Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Then he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Before these brothers return to Egypt, Joseph begins to initiate physical restoration with these brothers. He gives his brothers clothes. Benjamin, his youngest brother of the same mother, gives him five changes of clothes. Like God clothed Adam and Eve after they had sinned, or Potiphar had clothed Joseph, and Pharaoh would do as well. Joseph clothes his brother, showing them the providential hand of God, showing them love and care and grace in the midst of a very tense situation. He is showing them it's okay. And when the brothers return, Jacob's, his spirit is revived. And Jacob saw the stuff coming, and it wasn't the stuff that gave him the energy to respond, and his spirit came back to him. It was the idea and the thought that his son, whom he thought was dead, was alive. Looking back, his excitement comes because he thought in the past that his son was dead, and now he sees and looks forward to seeing his son who is alive. And again, I can't help but remember that God's son came back to life as well after the, his death to revive us, to give us a spiritual renewal for those who believe in him. And we'll see what happens in chapter 46 as Jacob begins his journey. We'll read uh, the first seven verses. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke in a, to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. His sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and the goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. And we see a, a shift here in the geographic location as the people of Israel are leaving Canaan and going to Egypt. 
And in Genesis, when this family has left the promised land of Canaan, it does not end up well for them. But God initiates this for His greater providential purposes. In the text here, it calls Jacob Israel, signifying the promised family and the promises of God are at work. The gospel looks back and the gospel looks forward. Back in Genesis chapter 32 is when Jacob got his name Israel after he wrestled with God, if you remember a few weeks ago. For years, Jacob has fought with God. God was with him, but he had absolutely no idea that God was there. Joseph, on the other hand, always has known that God was with him. And Joseph, or sorry, Jacob, who has striven with God, is finally at the end of himself. He has no choice but to go and follow God's command to go to Egypt. But before he goes, God wants to reassure Jacob of his promises. The gospel, it looks back and it looks forward. If you're thinking, when was the last time God spoke in the book of Genesis, I'm glad you asked the question. It was chapter 35, 11 chapters ago, when he gave Jacob his new name. We're in chapter 46 now. 11 chapters, God's providential hand has been moving without God saying a word. I'm not sure I could wait 11 chapters or approximately 40 years. What is God up to? We have a culture that is always wanting to look forward. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with Haiti? What's going to happen with Afghanistan? What will happen in the next election? What will Governor Scott do next? What will my bank account look like in a year from now? When will I be a grandparent? Where shall I go to college? God has been silent for 11 chapters, and Jacob and his family have needed to rest on God and what he has done and said in the past. And Jacob comes to Beersheba, a place of worship for this family. Abraham worshiped God in chapter 21, Isaac worshiped God in chapter 26, and Jacob worshiped God here in this same location in chapter 28. And God reminded Jacob of the same promises that he gave to Abraham, his grandfather, in chapter 12, and he also gave to Jacob, if you recall, in chapter 28. Looking back, God keeps his promises, and God wanted to assure Jacob that he will keep his promises in the future. And so what does Jacob do? He does the only appropriate thing to do in a response to God's providential hand, and most importantly, his salvation, is to worship. Adam worshipped when God gave him Eve. Abraham worshipped when God provided a sacrifice in lieu of his son Isaac. And Jacob worships here, being reminded that God will keep his promises. In the gospel, it looks forward. Where God speaks through his word and life comes. God reminds us of his faithfulness, church, and our response to his faithfulness is worship. The gospel, it looks backwards and we will gather, or sorry, it looks forward as well, and we will gather in heaven as believers together forever to worship 
God. Looking forward, maybe Jacob would have had some excitement. I'll get my son back. I'll return to Canaan. Maybe I'll just finish my five years in Egypt after this famine is over. Just need to get through this season. A phrase we often hear, right, in today's world. We're at a culture that looks forward. But sometimes, church, God doesn't let us know what He is doing until it's already done. This family, this nation, would spend 430 years in Egypt. Remember what happened in 1591? Neither do I. Would Jacob have gone if he knew it was 430 years that his family would be in the land of Egypt, would eventually become slaves, would brutally suffer, and have to come out through Moses? Jacob had faith in the covenant-keeping God who has promised to be with him forever. And that's enough for Jacob and that's enough for us as we move forward in the things that we sense God is calling us to do as his people. When we look forward at Uncertainty Church, we look forward and we trust God's providential hand in his covenant-keeping character. We'll skip the next section of genealogies for the sake of time, but the main point in um, this next section leading up to verse 27 is that everyone in Jacob's family goes to Egypt. It was a big deal for this family to leave Canaan and go to Egypt. And we'll pick it back up in verse 28 of chapter 46. Speaking of Jacob, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then, Jake, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." And so, church, again, the gospel, it looks back. The gospel looks forward. And God is always using His sovereignty and control over everything to bring about what God knows is best, not always what we think is best. And the climax of the text is when Jacob sees his son, Joseph. And seeing, if you're recalling, is a big theme in the second half of Genesis, where the people of God are often blinded to their sin, and they're often blinded to God's providential hand at work. But Jacob sees. Jacob, he was deceitful, remember? He lied in promoting what he wanted, what Jacob wanted in life. Jacob was always worried about himself, he was concerned about preserving his life, where Joseph was concerned about preserving the life of his family. 
Where Jacob was a liar, Joseph was truthful. His family were shepherds. They weren't kings, which Pharaoh would have been concerned about with this huge family coming to Egypt. This family was looking to survive. They were not looking uh, for an advantage to take over the land of Egypt during the midst of this famine when the land was vulnerable. Looking back, Joseph was shrewd with Potiphar, with the prison guards, with the interpretation of the dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker, as well with Pharaoh. And now Joseph picks the land of Goshen for his family. He is as shrewd as a serpent, looking back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent tried to thwart God's plan, but God continued to providentially move things forward. Joseph, he wasn't concerned about what would take place, in the, or he wasn't concerned about what took place in the past, because he knew God's promises, that his entire family, from Adam to Eve to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, his father Jacob, Joseph was looking forward to returning to the land, not staying in Egypt, even though it would come 430 years later. And we see the implications of these actions in chapter 47. The first seven verses, or six verses, uh, Pharaoh agrees to give Joseph's family the land of Goshen. We'll pick it back up in verse 7 of chapter 47. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession of the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramesses and the as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Looking back, Joseph or Jacob, his life has been hard. He is old and he has been through a lot. I'm not sure Jacob would have chosen it again if he could. Back when he was a little boy, he started out in the womb fighting with his brother, fighting for what he wanted. He grasped the heel of his brother. He stole his brother's birthright. He deceived away his brother's blessing. He went to his father-in-law Laban and worked for 21 years to get his two wives and his massive flocks. A life of sin has taken its toll on Jacob. Looking back, it's been hard, but looking forward, what does Jacob do? He wants to bless Pharaoh. And normally in this circumstances, a lesser, Jacob, does not bless a greater man in Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is the most powerful man living on the planet that day. And here's another example of a blessing coming through this promised family to the nations through the line of Abraham. And Jacob, not Israel, the man, not the family, blesses Pharaoh. And so church, look back on your own life, on God's hand in your life. Look forward 
on how that can be a blessing to others. Look back on how you believe the gospel. What was it that God illumined in your eyes to see Him for who He was and a heart to respond? And use that same words, the same circumstances to share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Show them that their future, looking forward, can be blessed with the greatest spiritual blessing that there is, our salvation from sin. Someone told you the gospel in the past. Looking forward, we get to share it with others. By the end of chapter 47, the famine increases. We won't read the account of everything that Pharaoh took from the people. He took their herds, he enslaves them, and then he takes their land after first taking all their money. Pharaoh will own it all, and the famine gets worse and worse as Joseph had predicted. Five years pass. Five years ago, this family saw salvation. We can raise our families, we can tend to our herds, we can survive. And likely they didn't have their stuff taken. But this is not the greatest place to be for anyone, especially outsiders. And so we'll pick it back up in verse 27. After the nations and the Egyptians both bow down before Pharaoh to worship him for saving their life. Verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of our, his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near for Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed, saying, Swear to me. The same words that he would say to his brother Esau. All the people of Egypt... All the nations of the world, they come and they bow before Pharaoh for saving their life. And we've seen that in our culture, right? Where people, we worship a leader. Who will save us? It's happened in the past. It happens today. It will happen in the future. I guarantee it. And we think certain leaders are our saviors. But I probably don't need to remind you that leaders of this world are finite. They are fallible. They are under the providential hand of God, though. Pharaoh dies. He was buried. Trump, Biden, any other president or country, they will die. They will be buried. Jacob will die, too, and that's the scene that we are in because we all inherit death from the fall, looking back again to Genesis chapter 3. But you know who won't die? Who sits reigning forever is Jesus, God. And so let's worship God. Let's trust God's providence even in our own country. Our leaders are not saviors. They are stewards. And God never fails. Jesus never dies. God is always in control. And Jesus is always ruling and reigning over everything. 
at the end of Jacob's life, he is looking back and he knew God's promises that his family would own land, they would dwell in the land, and he would be a blessing to the nations. And Jacob was looking ahead. He knew that he would die and he wanted his family to take him back to Canaan to be buried. And next week in the text, we will see that happen. He knew he could trust Joseph. And so he asked him to take him back when it happened. Last year, our family, we planted some small fruit trees in our yard. Uh, we got a few apples coming, a couple pears, but I think the bugs have eaten most of it. But we didn't plant the trees expecting fruit in 2021. We planted them knowing that in a few years, maybe even 10, we might have a lot of fruit. We watered them, we fertilized them, we put down some mulch. We try to follow Dr. Blessing's instructions to get fruit later on down the road. But church, God's hand is always at work. Where God's providence and his wise application of his sovereignty is always at work. Where we just need to till the soil. We need to do some fertilizing. Maybe even plant some seeds. Where we have an opportunity to look backward. And we know what God's word shows us, what took place in the past. Unlike this family, we have the actual events of Jesus' life written down to know what took place. This family will survive. This family will leave Egypt through the hand of Moses. But this family will also betray God again. Through this family, God will take on flesh and die for our, their sins like he promised he would do. Through this family, the preservation of life has come to you and to me for those who believe. The ones living when they made their way to Egypt, they didn't get to see everything. They will die in Egypt. But Joseph's family, Jacob's family, believed God's promises in the past, and they believed God would keep his promises in the future. And because of these promises, we get to become part of God's family by believing in the work of Jesus on our behalf. So the gospel, it looks backwards. It also looks forward at all times. And as the missionary William Carey, who went to India a few hundred years ago, said this, he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. His gospel looks back and his gospel looks forward. Back, we see that Jesus died for our sins. He rose to preserve our lives and looking forward, even in pain and trouble, our eternal life that begins now lasts forever. We have nothing to lose, church, and so let's worship now like we will worship in heaven. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Ever. And so, church, we can look forward. We need not worry about what's ahead of us. And oftentimes, I think we as believers in 2021, we like to look forward without looking back as well. And for us, the, the future is uncertain, but the past is written. And so allow that to motivate you to move forward. If there's one thing to remember and take away this morning is to trust God's promises in the past, but also in the future. Know God's word, see what he has done, see his faithfulness, trust that he will be faithful moving forward. 
And let's be faithful to the Word of God that lasts forever and trust God's sovereignty and the salvation that is in Christ Jesus alone because in the end, when the future is done, it will go well for us who are in Christ Jesus. So would you pray with me as we invite the worship team back up? Father, we thank you that we have you. God, that you are faithful to yourself, therefore you are faithful to us. God, thank you for sending your son to die for us in our place on the cross for our sins and we can rest in our salvation that is finished. God, we thank you and we want to worship you today. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to lift our voices, to give of our tithes and offering, to respond to you with the grace that you've given us in our meager offering of worship. God, would you be glorified in the rest of our time together? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us as we respond to the word this morning?